Right. Good morning, Life Point. How's everybody doing today? It is good to see all of you, and we want to welcome those who are also watching us online. So if you're watching us online, thank you so much for joining us today. In fact, can we give all of them a big round of applause as well? Um, I think it's possible that TJ, if you were here last week, we prayed for our drummer, TJ. If you didn't notice this week, he lost a whole bunch of weight, and uh, surgery went really, really well. No, uh, Richie did a great job filling in. How about that? Around here, it's like next man up. And uh, Richie did a great job, but uh, TJ, from what I've been told, I think is watching this morning, and so TJ, we love you. I know you're still there in the hospital, but uh, we're praying for you, hoping you're getting to feel better. Um, if you have any contacts at Grandview in uh, Birmingham, I was told yesterday that the care staff during the day wasn't as good as the care staff at night. So if you've got some input, you can just call over there, but take care of TJ or else, right? Just go with that and it'll be okay. Um, but he seems to be doing well. Surgery went fine. He just is having some pain. Um, maybe a little more than he was expecting, but I don't think it's more than uh, what they were trying to prepare him for. So he should be back uh, with us hopefully sooner than later. Um, this is week number next, last week of this series. It's not too late. If you have missed this series, I want to encourage you to go back online. Uh, check it out. If you're a guest with us this morning, you're here for the last one. Uh, which I think is, if I was, if I was going to pick one for you to be at, this would be the one that I would want you to hear, so you've, you've come for a perfect Sunday. But what this also means is we're kicking off a brand new series next week, and um, I, I've been talking about doing this series for um, over a year and a half now, and we finally decided to, to kind of plug it in. So um, beginning next week, we're doing a series uh, called Pray This Way. And uh, it is based off of a question that the disciples asked Jesus one day. They, they approached Jesus and said, teach us how to pray like you pray. And, uh, and so he does. And um, so if you have ever felt like, uh, if you ever had difficulty with prayer, and if you haven't, you probably just, well, you probably either had difficulty praying or difficulty like because you don't pray. It's one of the two. Uh, but if, if prayer has ever been a struggle for you over the next several weeks, we're going to pick apart how Jesus said we should pray, and um, and look at that. So we're really excited about that. We'll be kicking that off next week. So invite friends and family and coworkers and neighbors and all that kind of stuff to come and hang out with you um, next week. So this morning, um, as we kick off this last message in this series, this whole series is built around a question. And the question was this, if you had an opportunity to have a conversation with your younger self, what would you say to them? And... Um, and multiple times, several times during this, this particular sermon series, I have said that we're going to look at my favorite verse. Uh, in fact, over the last 17 years almost of being Life Point, I have probably said that a thousand times. Maybe not quite that many, but a bunch. Um, because it turns out that almost every time I look at a new verse of Scripture or I prepare for a, a verse of Scripture, I find out that I like it. And it turns into my favorite. And of this series, what we're going to look at this morning probably is my favorite. In fact, as I've thought through it, um, you might be able to guess the bottom line, all right? Because here's the thing, uh, this morning's bottom line is something that if you've come to LifePoint any length of time, you have probably heard me say it multiple times. In fact, I almost didn't use it as a bottom line uh, because apparently I say it more than I realize because I was in a meeting this week with a group of guys and uh, at one point, one of the men in the room said, well, it's like Matt always says, and he quoted this bottom line. And for a minute, for a minute I was offended, for just a second, because I was like, I say a lot more than that, 
I say a lot more than that. And then it dawned on me that if I was going to be remembered for saying one thing, this would probably be the thing that I would want to be remembered for. So the, the interactive part of this morning's message is you can take out a piece of paper and see if you can predict what the bottom line is before you even know what the message is and see if you're right at the end of the message, all right? So uh, you can do it. But it truly is what I think if I were, as I've thought about it this week and particularly this weekend, if I was given one more message, if I knew this was the last sermon I was going to teach, or if I knew this, if I'd have known 16, said almost 17 years ago when we started LifePoint, this is what somebody is going to say, you say all the time. This is exactly what I would want to say. And so this morning, I think that, um, I think you're in for a message that I think is probably the most important conversation that most of us can have. And, um, and so I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you can take that out. Uh, and turn to there. Um, if you don't have a print Bible with you, but you brought your phone, just know that there's, you, there's probably a Bible on that, or you can download one. We'd love for you to follow along with it. But I want to pray before we start, and, um, and then I, I want us to talk about Ephesians chapter 2. And here's the thing. I want us to address what I think might be one of the most significant tensions of the American church. I don't know if it's a, a significant tension worldwide or even since the church began after Jesus's ascension, but I do believe it to be a significant tension in the American church and especially the Southern American church. And so um, let's pray and then we'll talk about that. Father, thank you for this morning. I pray you would give us ears to hear and courage to obey. Um, help us to listen to what you want to say this morning for us, for ourselves, uh, not necessarily listen for someone else, uh, but speak directly to our hearts. Let us hear your voice, and Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to adjust our lives as we need to. In Jesus' name, amen. So many of you probably know my story. Some of you have been around LifePoint a long time. For those of you who haven't, uh, I grew up in church for the most part. Uh, I've said many times I, was, I had a drug problem as a kid. I was drugged to church on Sunday mornings and drugged back on Sunday nights and drugged to church on Wednesdays, and, and some of that is somewhat true. My, my family, we grew up near the church. I walked to church when, I didn't have a, when my parents didn't go. Uh, my grandparents attended church, so if I was at their house for a weekend, we would go to church. I mean, church just kind of something that I always went to. But my real experience with church and Jesus actually started when I was about seven or eight years old. Um, seven, eight-year-old Matt had one thing that was more important than everything else in his life, uh, and that was baseball. I love baseball. I grew up playing baseball. Uh, my granddad was drafted to play for the White Sox uh, when he was young, and, uh, but he had already joined the military, and so... He couldn't go to Chicago and play. He missed out on that opportunity, but he's a really good ball player, and I grew up around my granddad a lot, and so I learned how to play baseball from him, and, uh, and I was pretty good. I mean, not, apparently not great, but I was pretty good. In fact, as I was growing up, um, there, there were you know, the people around me that said, you got a chance to play um, at the next levels, and, and one time my granddad told me, he's like, you know, son, you probably, and he called me son, he said, you, you, could, you, you could probably play in the bigs. He said, but, you know, there's some things that will keep you from doing that. You know, drugs, alcohol, and women, they'll keep you from getting there. It turns out uh, there's a fourth thing that will keep you from getting to the big leagues, and that's lack of talent. But we don't go there. Um, but so baseball was super important to me. I loved it. I, I played it all the time, every chance I would get. And uh, one day I was on the bus coming home from school on an afternoon, and my best friend in the world, his name was Wesley McComb, uh, Wesley invited me to church. That night, it was a Wednesday. Now, I went to church at this, at this particular church, 
Uh, I went on Sundays for the most part. And Wesley said, why don't you come to church tonight? And I said, because it's Wednesday. Uh, I, I distinctly remember that, saying that it's Wednesday, Wesley. It's not Sunday. And he said, well, I know, but we have church on Wednesday nights. I said, I'm aware, but I don't like church on Sunday. I'm certainly not coming another night of the week unless my parents make me. And Wesley said, no, no, it's different. He said, it's different. I said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, this, this guy named Jeff has taken over for RAs. Now, if you really want to date yourself, how many people in the room know what RAs are? Does anybody know what that is? I see a few around there. For those of you who don't know, it's called Royal Ambassadors. It was a, it was a program for, for uh, boys and uh, kind of like, I guess it was kind of like Boy Scouts at church. Uh, I mean, there was a creed and everything. It was like, as a royal ambassador, I will do my best to be a, and I don't remember the rest. I don't remember what I was devoting myself to be now, but there was a creed, uh, and, and they did it on Wednesday nights at my church, and a guy named Jeff had taken over, and I told Wesley, I said, I don't care who took over. I don't want to go to church on Wednesday nights. He said, you don't understand. All we do, Matt, is play wiffle ball. I'm in. So I told him, see, tonight, what time does that start? 6.30, I said, 6.15. Maybe we, can get, maybe we can get a head start picking teams, right? And so, and he was right. I showed up at church. So all we did was play wiffle ball. I went the next Wednesday night. All we did was play wiffle ball. It was glorious for seven-year-old, eight-year-old Matt for about a year. And then I don't know if Jeff met Jesus or what happened, but all of a sudden we come in one Wednesday night, and he gave us all folders and told us to open our Bibles. And I'm like, oh, it's not raining. Wiffle ball. And he was like, no, nah, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to start finding Jesus in the Old Testament. And I was like, well, I ain't been going here long. Jesus in the New Testament, Jeff. And he's like, yeah, but Jesus is all through the Old Testament. And I'm like, but wiffle ball is why I'm here. And, um, and, and, and I found out, like, I mean, this is really, that, that is really what began to spur my curiosity, actually. And uh, today it's been very beneficial up in my life that I, I think it made me have this appreciation for the Old Testament. But looking back, I've realized that I was part of the, like, greatest Jesus juke bait and switch in the history of the world. It was like, you can have wiffle ball, and then they gave me Jesus. I don't, I don't know exactly how that worked out, but, um, but that's kind of the church I grew up in. And I just, by that time, I had friends, and so I kept going to church, and I kept hearing more about Jesus. And eventually, at that church, uh, Jesus became something more than a story to me, and um, I committed my life to vocational ministry while I was there, and, and, and there was a lot good about the church I grew up in, a lot. But looking back, one of the things I realized about the church I grew up in, and I think it's true of a lot of churches in the South, uh, I think it could possibly be true of your experience even in here, potentially, is that I think there was something that happened, and I don't think it was intentional, um, but I think there was something that, that, that was happening that I think happens to us a lot, and that is that I don't think my church always told the whole story, and what I mean by that is, as a kid growing up at Iron City Baptist Church, the one thing that I heard over and over and over and over again was that people were sinners. The thing I heard over and over again was that that meant they needed a Savior, the thing I heard over and over again was that Jesus died on the cross to pay for those sins. And he rose from the dead to authenticate the reality that he was who he said he was. And I heard that if I placed my faith in him, then I could receive eternal life. And I heard that over and over. In fact, one of the phrases that is permanently burnt into my brain and my heart is, is how many preachers at this church, it was a rural church, we got a new preacher about every two to three years, 
And I can't tell you how many preachers, pastors I heard use these words. You need to be saved before it is eternally too late. And if they were really country, it was everlastingly too late. And I heard that all the time. And this pressure, this pressure to place faith in Jesus. And I want you to know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think there should be a sense of pressure to place your faith in Jesus. In fact, if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I think it's vitally, critically mandatory that you surrender your life to Jesus because eternity is way too long to be wrong. And we need to be expressing the necessity of accepting Jesus, receiving Jesus as Savior. But if I'm honest, a big part of the church I grew up in, we talked about that a lot. And it was almost like that was the end of the story. It was like, get, give your life to Jesus, pray a prayer, raise a hand. And, and that was the end of the story. And we'll sit around and sing songs and, 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 and have a great experience. By the way, everything in my life in that community was done around the church. That, that church was positive when it came to, it was, a, it, was a, it, it was a great place when it came to community. I mean, I, I, learned how to, I learned how to shoot a layup in RA basketball at that church. My life revolved around the church. I, I threw baseball in the front yard. I played flag football that always turned into tackle football at that church. I mean, my life revolved around that, but it was almost like the end of the story was place your faith in Jesus. And this morning, I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 2, and eventually I want to show you the verse that I think that we often, even those of us in the room today, forget about. Ephesians chapter 2 starts off talking about something that you probably would like. It starts off by talking about us. We usually like to read things that are about us. And the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Ephesus, and he says, I want to remind you of who you once were. And he's talking to people who place their faith in Jesus. And so if you're here this morning, and you've never done that, first of all, we want you to know that we're not mad at you. In fact, everything we do, we do for the person who's never placed their faith in Jesus. But because we love you and we care about you, we'll be very honest with you. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you can find a description of what your life is in the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, as a reminder, I want you to see what your life once was. And it's almost like Paul wants to tell the church in Ephesus, I don't want you to ever forget where you came from. And he says this, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked. Paul said, I want to make sure you understand your spiritual condition before you place your faith in Jesus. It's not that you were bad. It's not just that you were depraved. It's not just that you didn't make good decisions. It's not just that you didn't go to the right place on a Sunday and your attendance wasn't good. He goes, no, no, no. Life before Jesus is best described as dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were spiritually dead. It's the reason when you browse through the pages of the New Testament, you'll find language like born again when it speaks of salvation. It's because salvation is more than turning over a new leaf or making a New Year's resolution or deciding, making a decision to do something better. Salvation is a resurrection. You see, without Jesus, you are dead. You, say, you may be here this morning. You may be far from God. You may have never placed your faith. You say, well, I don't feel like I'm dead. Well, dead people don't always know they're dead. 
I mean, sometimes you get so used to being dead, you don't know what life could be. And so Paul says, well, let me help you understand what dead in your trespasses looks like. And if you'll think back to what your life was before you met Jesus, this will make all kinds of sense. He says, here's what you were doing. You were following the course of this world. In other words, you were just doing what people were doing. You just fell into the pattern of what was just acceptable and normal. You're following the course of the world. You're following the prince of the power of the air. And you're like, well, I don't even know what that means. It means this. It means that you were, your values, your behaviors were dictated not by God, not by morals, not by values, but just by the enemy. He may be like, well, man, I wasn't some devil worshiper. That doesn't even make sense. Well, here's the thing. To not be with God is to be enemies with God. In fact, that's exactly how Scripture defines our life before Christ, is that we were at enmity with God, which puts us as a follower of the enemy. And you may be thinking, well, what would that look like? Well, he goes on, he says, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Now watch this. Here's how we lived in the passions of our flesh. In other words, if I think it's going to feel good, I'll do it. He says also, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. In other words, he's saying, your decision making is based on what do I want to do? Which is insane, by the way. We call that insanity, in fact. Because we look back at our life and we're like, here's the crazy thing. When I was doing what I want, fulfilling the passions of my flesh... I seem to make decisions that had outcomes I didn't really want, right? That's the way dead spiritual people do, right? Because when we have no moral compass and we have no gauge or standard that base our decisions on, then ultimately the thing we think we want, we do, and we don't like the repercussions of it. Because when you only do what feels good or what your heart tells you to do, the greatest lie in the world, just do what you're... Just listen to your heart. Listen, let me give you something better than that. Don't listen to your heart. It is deceitful beyond measure. Most of the things that your heart goes, oh, you really want this. You'll find out later on, that is not at all what I wanted. Right? You find out the repercussions of your decisions are foolishness. And Paul says, this is the way it was when you were dead in your trespasses. And you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, this verse, these verses are so insightful. This sentence, this is one sentence, by the way. Three verses of Scripture are so insightful. Number one, it reminds us as believers what we were like. If we're an unbeliever, it describes the real nature of our lives. But this is what I really like about it. What I really like is for the believer, this is refreshing to realize the friends, of, the friends that we have and the people that we know and the acquaintances and the people we bump into, when we look at our world and we go, boy, this world's just really going south. I mean, we just live in crazy times. Can you believe? I haven't listened. It's not that surprising. You see, the real, one of the real problems that the church has is one of the things that gets said all the time is, I don't want to go to church because the church is so judgmental. You know why the world feels that way? Because we try to hold them to a standard that we expect for ourselves that they've never signed up for. You know why the world does crazy things and carry out the desires of their bodies and mind and live in the passions of their flesh? Because that's who they are. In fact, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, we don't expect you 
to adhere to the same standards that we do. In fact, we love that you're here. You know the best thing about a message this morning? Is you can listen and find out what the expectation is before you sign up for it. And then you can do one of two things. You can go, that standard's too high. I'm not going to do it. And if you decide that, the second thing you can do is, but I'm going to tell everybody that follows Jesus, that's what you got to do. I don't have to do it, but you got to do it. You can, you can kind of have a try it before you buy it kind of mentality this morning. And it's okay with me. Because here's one of the things that I've realized. Is that even though my life was once defined by an and you, verse 4 tells me that there was a but God. And in verse 4 it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. You see, you must understand that faith in Jesus is not an improvement of life. It's not a self-help method. It's not a get into shape in 20 days or get out of debt in 90 days kind of life. It is a resurrection. It is the dead becomes alive and the old becomes new. And the reason as a believer that I don't even mind if you're an unbeliever this morning and you decide not to sign up for this and you decide you don't want any part of it, the reason that doesn't offend me is because I'm convinced that sooner or later you're going to come to grips with that dead ain't no way to live. And sooner or later, fulfilling the passions of your flesh prove itself to be inefficient, ineffective, and not really what you want after all. And one day you begin to look and say, I am dead spiritually. And I don't need a makeover. I need a resurrection. And in the moment when you realize you need a resurrection, there's always a but God. And he is rich in mercy. Boy, I love that phrase. He is rich in mercy. Because it means this. It means there is mercy upon mercy upon mercy. It's an abundance of mercy. And I don't know about you, but in my life, I need an abundance of mercy. Because I tend to, even though my life has been resurrected, I tend to still drift down to the graveyard and live as though I'm dead. In those moments, I need an abundance of mercy. When I think back to how God drew me to repentance, he didn't draw me into repentance with anger. He didn't draw me into repentance with, with, with this mentality that you better do this or I'm going to get you. Instead, like the like scripture says, he drew me with loving kindness. It was his abundance of mercy, a love because of the great love in which he loved me. He made us alive in Christ. And then it's like Paul takes a, a moment and he goes, Oh, well, let me, let me make sure you clarify this. By grace, you've been saved. It's like this realization that Paul gives us as if there's this moment that we begin to think, well, I know why God saved me. I mean, how was he going to make it without me? I mean, I'm just so wonderful, right? No, God's, God's plan of salvation has nothing to do with the value that you bring, has nothing to do with your abilities and your talents, has nothing to do with how good you are or how good you could be. It was a unilateral decision on God's part to look at you and say, I choose to love you with a great love and extend to you, rich in mercy, a grace that you didn't deserve. It's by grace you're saved. 
And you raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. A unilateral decision to say, you were dead, I'm going to make you alive, but not just any life, I'm going to seat you in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. It is a resurrection that, you, that turns into a promotion. I don't know how you could get any better than that. And he goes on to say, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Then Paul says, and to reiterate, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He's like, just in case there's ever this moment that you're like, boy, I've really done God a favor. God goes, no, no, no. It was by grace you're saved, not of works. You got nothing to brag about. And it really makes sense. You begin to think about the nature of salvation. It kind of makes sense. Dead people can't do much. They're they're relying on some outside force to resurrect them. When it comes to salvation, the only part you played in it was the sinning. God did all the saving. It's crazy. Unilateral decision. And here's the thing. My church did a great job telling me this story. In fact, before I could graduate, before I graduated, I could quote these verses in New King James Version. ESV throws me off a little. I, I could quote these verses. I knew that it was, I knew that, that, that I was dead in my trespasses and sin, walked according to the course of, the, of this world, and was by nature children of wrath, and all those kind of things. And I knew that God was rich in mercy, and loved me with this great love, and it was by grace that I was saved through faith, and not of worse is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. And my church did a great job telling me this. And I think for many of us in the building right now, we've done a great job of getting to this part in our journey. And it's this part of our journey is the place where we receive by faith the salvation that God offers us because of what his son did on the cross. And we look at the cross and we're like, that was sufficient for my salvation. And the resurrection proves it. In fact, if you're here this morning, you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Here's the crazy thing. You don't have to wait till this thing at the end called an invitation. You don't have to wait for me to lead you in a sinner's prayer. Here's the coolest thing about salvation. There's no sinner's prayer in the Bible anywhere. Anywhere. I mean, one of the greatest stories of salvation found in the Bible is the, is the thief on the cross. He wasn't baptized. He never took communion. He didn't get get cleaned up, dressed up, fixed up. He never prayed a sinner's prayer. He just believed. And this morning, you don't even have to wait for an invitation. You don't have to, we don't have to wait. I mean, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but this is something Jesus never said as far as we know. You ready? Jesus never said. As we dim the lights, every head bowed, every eye closed. I'd like to lead you in a prayer to follow me. Be, Be saved. As far as we know, Jesus never did that. He might have. As far as we know, if he did, it didn't impact any of the writers of the New Testament enough to talk about it. Instead, he invited people to believe. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, do the craziest thing we've ever done on a Sunday morning. You're not even going to wait for the invitation. Right where you're at, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you're like, I am dead, I want to be alive. This is simply what you do. Just in your heart and your mind, you say, Lord, I believe. I believe what you did on the cross was enough. I place my hope and my trust in you. And then here's the crazy thing. And in that very moment of belief, you can claim the promise that Jesus himself said in John chapter 3 when he said, 
that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish of everlasting life. Your belief has resurrected you to life. What a remarkable thing. And maybe somebody here just now or online maybe just believed. And it'd be an incredible story to tell. And I heard this story growing up. In fact, it was this story that I heard that led me to belief. But I think the tendency of what happens in people's lives and what happened in my church, I'm afraid of, is that this is where the story ended. And for many people who've been introduced to a God that would transform their life from, from dead to resurrected, dead to life, the end of the story is they believed. And that was it. In fact, I don't want to go around the room this morning, but I bet if we did, and I were to ask most of the people sitting in the room, what's the most significant spiritual thing in your life? So well, let me tell you about the day I got saved. And I'm not saying it's not significant. I'm just saying it's not necessarily what God planned. You see, salvation is not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. A resurrection is a reason to get excited about life and figure out why would somebody raise me to life? You see, I think in my experience, and maybe in many of yours, we just stop reading in Ephesians 2, 9. By grace we've been saved. Amen. That's me. Amen. It's not of works. Oh, got that. Lest anybody should boast. Amen. Anybody want to believe? Let's sing another song go home. And we never get to verse 10. But I think verse 10, if I could go back and have a conversation with my younger self, and the conversation I've been having with you for the last 16 years, and the conversation my boys have heard over and over, is that there's more to this life than just belief. Because in verse 10, this is what we hear. As Paul says, for. In other words, because of all of this, because you've been raised to life, because it is grace, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, we should walk in them. He said, you're his workmanship. What does it mean to be God's workmanship? Well, that's the Greek word poiet. That's where we get our English, English word poetry. And even though there's some disagreement on how this works, in my mind, this is what I think. When I read this, I think it is Paul saying, you are God's masterpiece. You may not feel like a masterpiece. Some of you probably look around and go, boy, I need a new artist if this is what we call a masterpiece. I understand. Some of us look at our lives and go, I don't feel much like a masterpiece. But I thought I'd bring something out to you. This is, um, this is one of my favorite things in the world, really. It truly is. Um, I found this in my office a couple of weeks ago. And you may not recognize the work of art. You may not know it's artists. But this is actually painted by a young lady named Andy Stewart. And some of you may know Andy. And a couple of years ago, I think it's been at least two years, maybe longer than that, I was talking to Andy in the foyer one day. And uh, I think I'd seen something on her mom's Facebook page or something. And I said, Andy, are you an artist? And she kind of, she's very shy, and she kind of shook her head, yes. I said, so you like to paint? And she said, yeah. And she said, I'm going to paint you something. And I said, I would love that. And so like two years goes by. And a couple of weeks ago, I walk into my office, 
and I don't know, if, I mean, maybe the cameras can zoom in, I don't know, maybe you can see it, um, but I walked into my office, and this was in my office. She had delivered her painting, and to me, it was a masterpiece, and, and you may not see the significance of all of it, um, but this is actually, you probably can tell there's a cross there. What you may not be able to tell is the cross is actually water, and there's a little bitty boat right there in the middle. It's probably not a little bitty boat, it's just the perspective, but painted right there in the middle is a boat. And in the four corners, Andy has painted, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, Matthews 419. And uh, she didn't know this, because she wasn't even born at the time, but if we go back in time almost 17 years ago, to June 16th of 2006, when LifePoint was launched, the very first Sunday, the passage of scripture that I preached from was Matthew 4:19. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And there's a lot of stuff in my office. All right, if you've ever been in my office, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of taxidermy. Uh, there's a buffalo. There's a water buffalo. There's a bison. Uh, there's several deer, some elk. There's even a goat and a pig. Uh, and maybe some other stuff, I mean, which I consider to be works of art. There's some of that in there. Uh, there's a couple of pictures that I like. Um, but there's one painting in there that's real important. It's this one. Well, it was in there. It's not in there right now. It's out here. But it'll go back in there. And there's a couple of reasons why this is so important. It may not look like a masterpiece to you. But because of who painted it, it's a masterpiece to me. Because of who put the effort in it. And because I know the artist, it means a lot to me. Like, to all of you, the little signature down here might not matter, but to me, it's a big deal. So you may not feel like a masterpiece, but Paul says that we are God's workmanship. And if you know the artist, you appreciate the art. And the thing that, that it reminds me of when I read this passage is that you may not be crazy about me, but God's not finished. And you may look at yourself and go, boy, I've still got a bunch of flaws. Well, God's not quite finished with you either. He's still working. He's still molding. He's still making. I was in Gatlinburg a couple of years ago, and we went to that poetry place. I mean, poetry. It wasn't poetry. Pottery place. I don't go to poetry places. <laughs> I don't routinely go to pottery places either. But I wanted a coffee cup. So go to this pottery place. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched somebody make a piece of pottery. But it looks terrible until the last moment. For the most of the process, it's just a lump of clay. And then eventually, it takes shape. It's exactly what God's doing in you. Is he's molding and he's working. And it's going to take shape. And the question becomes, well, why would he do all that? What is he doing that? And well... The author of uh, Paul in Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, says that you're his workmanship. And here's why. He says he's created you in Christ Jesus for good works. Works are not what gives us salvation, but it's the evidence of our salvation. The place where most of us stop is we stop at salvation when that's just the beginning of the story. That's the launching point. Eternal life is not for the by and by. It's for the here and now. Eternal life is not just something you experience one day, it's what you can experience today. Eternal life begins at the moment of salvation. He has given us life. He's resurrected us for good works. He wants to use you to do something significant and good and beneficial. And then, I love this, which God prepared beforehand. 
He has a plan and a route for you. There, there, there are works that he has planned specifically for you. It, it seems like all the time I, I hear people say things like this. Well, Matt, obviously God wants to use you. You get to, I mean, you have a platform and you talk every week. I mean, that's important. And people forget about the dozens of people it takes for this to even happen. The people in our technical department and the people working with our kids that allow this to be a distraction-free environment where somebody can talk. The, the, all the things that happen throughout the week and not one of those things is an unimportant task. You see, the, the, the prepare beforehand means that God has designed you with certain gifts and abilities and passions and things that you love and experience to all work together to, to make you into the shape that he wants to use you for. And some of us or maybe minivans, and some of us may be sports cars, and some of us may be Priuses, pickup trucks, a monster truck, or a motorcycle. God's designed us all different to do different things because it doesn't make sense for a minivan to go to a racetrack. But it doesn't make sense for a race car to go and pick up kids from school. You might be cool, but it's not very effective. Paul says, just be who God's prepared you to be. And here's the crazy thing about the verse. Everything up until this point is true regardless of your opinion or your belief. You are his workmanship. You are created in Christ Jesus, and he did prepare it beforehand. The only thing that remains in question is, will you walk in it? And it's why Paul said that we should walk in it. Take the next step. Function in verse 10. Be who God's designed you to be and walk in those good works. You say, well, what about that bottom line, Matt? I've been waiting to see if I was right. Well, I began to think about this particular passage and the thing that I thought about that I would go back if I could have a conversation with my younger self and I honestly think that I've done this I think my younger self listened to it I, I think I probably could have done better and quicker the thing that I want for my boys the thing I want for the ladies that my boys will one day marry the thing I want for my family and the things I want for my church the one principle that I wished everybody would follow and consider. And if they forgot everything else I ever said would remember. Is that God has a plan for your life. And you don't want to miss it. I don't know where it's at. This in there somewhere. Forget it. There it is up there. You know it was in the first service. Anyway. God has a plan for your life. And you don't want to miss it. God has a plan for your life. For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And you don't want to miss it, that you should walk in them. You know, when I think about the reality of this bottom line, somewhere in your life, I'm just going to promise you this, somewhere in your life and probably often in your life, you're going to feel a tension. And that tension 
is going to be this. What do I really want to do? I mean, doing the right thing is very seldom easy. There will be times you're going to be like, I'm just tired of this. I'm tired of doing the right thing. I'm tired of doing things the right way. I'm tired of this Jesus thing, these good works God prepared beforehand. If it were easy, everybody would do it. And right is right, even if nobody's doing it. And wrong is wrong, even if everybody's doing it. And sooner or later in your life, you're going to be, you're going to find yourself at the crossroads of a decision. And at that moment, this is what I want you to hear. The person I was sitting with the other day in that meeting said, There's one thing Matt always says, listen, listen, listen. And then I glared, and he said, God has a plan for your life, and you don't want to miss it. When you're sitting at that crossroads, and you're about to pull the trigger on a decision that is not based on your faith, it's not the good works that God prepared beforehand, I'd give anything if in that moment, You just heard me say, listen, listen, listen. And somehow you could feel me take your hands, your face in my hands, and look you right in the eye and say, God has a plan for your life, and you don't want to miss it. It may not feel like the easy decision. It may not seem like it's what you want. After all, You deserve what you want. Just listen to your heart. In fact, don't listen to your heart and seldom do what you want. Instead, remind yourself that God has a plan for your life and you don't want to miss it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. God, thank you that um, you've given us this passage that reminds us that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and reminds us that we once walked according to our own passions and desires and the prince of the air and the course of this world. But God, thank you that you were rich in mercy. With this great love that you've loved us, you saved us by grace. It's not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, and we have no reason to boast. So Lord, for that reason, Let us walk in your works. Lord, help us to remember that we are your workmanship. We are the masterpiece. God, help us to walk in the design that you have designed us to be. In Jesus' name.